We're in a stretch here where we're trying to celebrate our Bible classes and just uh, renew emphasis on our Bible classes. We've had uh, Derek Williams help us out get new chairs in our Bible classes and think about decorating our adult classes to make them look even more suitable for getting together to study the Word of God. We had today our teacher appreciation luncheon where we tried to say thank you in just a small way to our teachers who put so much effort into their classes. I know I think about myself growing up and there are specific classes that I remember from Bible class teachers from all sorts of ages where I feel like my faith grew and I could tell you the class, I could tell you the place, I could tell you the teacher. And so we appreciate so much what you've done, what you do. Uh, we're going to have here, I think I said this morning, four weeks from today. We're going to try to set a new Bible class record here at Great Oaks. I hope you can be here September 10th, I think it is, for that Sunday morning uh, for breakfast with us and then having Bible classes. We're in a stretch of celebrating Bible classes, and tonight's lesson comes out of a Bible class. So I've always enjoyed Bible classes. Um, I had a a preacher friend of mine who years ago, I'm sure he's changed by now, um, but he said at the time we were just getting into ministry and we're talking on the phone about how it's going and all that, and he said, I love preaching. He said, but I hate Bible classes. I was like, what, what, what in the world? Like, what's wrong with you? Do you realize that sounds like blasphemy? Well, here's what he said. He said, well, here's the thing. When you're preaching, like, you just say what you say, and no one's going no to get you off track. But if you're in a Bible class, you got no clue what people are going to say. And so that was, that was his perception of it. And uh, I imagine he's changed like we all mature and grow and all that. Uh, but I've always, I've always enjoyed that aspect of Bible classes. I've always enjoyed the conversation about faith. Like, let's, let's look at a verse, and let's, let's talk about it, and I'll have some thoughts ready, but I want to hear what your thoughts are too. I think about even this morning, our Bible class went, went a whole different direction than what I had planned, but it was good stuff. It was good stuff. And so I've always enjoyed that. And so last, this last winter quarter, I taught a class on Psalms with the young adults and then also uh, with the, one of the adult classes. And there were a couple classes in there that I had a few thoughts planned, um, but people's thoughts, one good thought led to another, and we went, we went to a different place than I had originally thought. And as I left the class, I thought to myself, I would love to just rework what I had and incorporate what everyone else contributed, and I'd love to put that into something we can share with everybody. And so that's what I've done for tonight. And so if you were in that class and you remember all this, you have my permission to take a nap for the next few minutes. Now, don't do that, please. But I, ho- I hope it'll be good the second time as well, uh, because I, I think this is a really good thought. At least it is to me, and I hope it'll be a good thought to you. So here's where we're starting tonight. Keeping first things first. It is not, it is not always easy to keep first things first. You have a million things going on in life. There are a million options going on in life. It is difficult to make sure you keep what is the most important thing in the, in the most important place. And that's true of faith as well. There are so many things in the Bible. There's so many things that we're trying to live out. There's so many temptations and challenges. How do you remember what's most important? Well, a passage that helps us center our faith, I hope, is Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. This is the last week of Jesus' life before he goes to the cross. You might know this context. This is when Jesus is preaching in the temple courts, and the different groups just keep coming up with questions, and they're trying to trap him. The Pharisees try to trap him by saying, do we give taxes to Caesar or not? The Sadducees try to trap him by saying, uh, what about a guy whose wife, or a wife whose husband dies and she marries seven guys, doesn't have any kids, you know, just just one dies and marries another one and no one dies, whose husband is, 
is she going to have in the, in the afterlife? And Jesus, they thought that would be a way to prove there's no afterlife somehow. And so people were just coming up to Jesus with these questions, trying to trip him up. And here in verse 28, it says, One of the scribes came and heard them arguing, and recognizing he had answered them well, asked him a question. Now, Matthew tells us, not only did this guy recognize Jesus has answered well, but there was a mixed motive here. Because he also had had the scribes and Pharisees alongside him saying, here's what we want you to go ask Jesus. But you can tell he's, he's not fully on the Pharisee's side. He's recognizing there are some good things that are being said by Jesus. And so he asked the question, what commandment is the foremost of all? What's the most important commandment? The Jewish rabbis had counted 613 commandments in the Old Testament. 248 of those were affirmative commandments, meaning this is something you should do. And 365 of those were negative commandments, meaning this is something you should not do. So out of 613, Jesus, which is the most important? It wouldn't have hurt our feelings if Jesus would have said, they're all important. Do, do all of them. Uh, I think they're important for a reason. I think they're in the Bible for a reason. But Jesus did say that there is a center to all the commandments that God has given. And he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. You see in the New American Standard Version, it puts that in all caps. Jesus answered, The foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The first commandment, love God with everything you have. I think that's what he means by all those, that's what scripture means by all those different things. Give God your everything. Love him with your everything. And then Jesus goes the extra mile here in verse 30 and gives the second commandment, quoting from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. He says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. He gives the first and the second. They both revolve around love. Love God love people. The scribe replies back. He says, right, teacher. And I don't know that Jesus needed him to tell him that he was right, but, but he says, maybe he's saying that is right. That I, I agree. Maybe that's what he's saying here. Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one and there's no one else besides him. And I wonder if the Pharisees were going, you're supposed to be on our side. You're not supposed to agree with Jesus. We're trying to trip him up here. But, but he says, you're right. You truly stated that he's one and that there's no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, and with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, whenever Jesus said that, whenever that scribe said that, that didn't mean the offerings and sacrifices were unimportant in the Old Testament. What it did mean is there was a center. And from that center, everything else would grow out, including the offerings and the sacrifices. Jesus, in verse 34, when Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently... He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. Probably smart. You're not going to trick Jesus. There's a higher wisdom here. Now, but I love Jesus' answer. Wouldn't, you're, wouldn't you sort of beam with pride if you, were that, if you were that guy, if you really knew who Jesus was, for Jesus to say, that's right. You're not far from the kingdom of God. You're, you're moving in a good direction. Keep doing what you're doing. And so you have this... What is the most important thing here? 
And Jesus says, love God, love people. In Matthew's account, there's one other thing he tells us Jesus said that I think is worth bringing into this. Uh, as the New American Standard puts it, and I'll put a, another translation up here in just a second. New American Standard translates it after Jesus says, first commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. New King James translates that. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So again, notice, Jesus is not saying that all the law and the prophets are not important, and those are the only things that are important. He's saying those are first, and then everything else comes from that. They're all connected. But you've got to get the first things first to be able to then go forward on all the rest of them. This may be silly to you, uh, but let's go ahead and put this for the outline, then I'll show you what, what, what I think of when I think of this concept. Because Matthew tells us that everything hangs from those two things. If you get loving God, if you get loving neighbor... All the other commandments hang from those. Here's what I picture in my mind. I picture a kid's mobile above their, above their little uh, baby crib. Uh, imagine you've seen things like this before. And then sometimes they're bigger things like art pieces and stuff like that. But in a mobile you have, you have a something that everything is hanging from and everything, everything else is coming down from that. So all the commandments that God gave us in Scripture, I picture those as, as hanging down from that foundation of love God, love people. They're all important. Every one of them. God wouldn't have put them in there if they weren't. In fact, Jesus says part of becoming a disciple in Matthew 28. says, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to observe all that I commanded you. All, that I, all of them are important, but they have a, there's something they all depend on. Some people in, a, in American culture feel like they grew up in churches that were sometimes termed moralistic churches, meaning they were just taught the rules. You do this, you don't do this. You do this, you don't do this. The rules in Scripture are important. But they felt like they weren't taught what they all hang from. That if, if you get that first part right first, love God, love people, then all those things make a lot more sense. And they're easier to keep because you have the help of God along with you. You have a genuine love for God that makes you want to follow what Scripture says. Not just a rule on the wall, but a love for God that makes you want to follow it. Jesus says there is a first thing in our faith. And it starts with loving God and everything else hangs from that. Sometimes, though, we ask this question. If that's the most important commandment, the first commandment, love the Lord your God with everything you are, how do you work on that? I mean, I, I, sometimes we talk about different things in our life that we want to work on in our faith. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to work on speaking better. I, I, want to, I, want to, I want to say things better than I've been saying them. I, sometimes I get upset and say things like I shouldn't. So I want to work on that. Or I want to work on being a better example. Sometimes when I'm around a certain group of people, they, they trip me up and I end up trying to fit in with the crowd. I'm trying to, some of those things, you could probably put a little list together of, okay, here's some things you need to do. This one I think sometimes we struggle with. How do you work on loving God? How do you work on, I mean, it's the first commandment. I, I want to I do that one as well as I can. How do you do that? Well, let me suggest, and this is what came out of our Bible class discussion this last, this last winter. Let me suggest the resource of the Psalms as a great place to help us build our love for God, to really make it real in ourselves. I don't know if they still do this anymore. Um, I haven't bought a, a different type of Bible in several years, but they used to at least print the, I'm sure they still do, the New Testaments with the Psalms and the Proverbs. Do they still do that? Uh, see some of you shaking your head. I, I imagine they do. 
Uh, I know they're at least floating around, you know, even if they're not praying them now. And that was just always interesting to me that they chose the New Testament. And then you got 39 books to choose from in the Old Testament. They chose Psalms and Proverbs. And I think the reason they did that, they, they thought, there's a spirit there. There's a spirit in the Psalms and the Proverbs that is a timeless help for our faith. And I sure see that in the Psalms. That the Psalms are a great resource. That's what we're going to do with the rest of our time. I want to suggest the Psalms, and maybe I should better say, the Bible classes I was teaching want to suggest the Psalms as a great way to help build our love for God. And I think they're right about that. Uh, so here's why I think they do that. The Psalms give great examples, and they give great words that help us grow in this area. So let's think about the examples for a second. If you think about David, I don't know what you think of. You've got a lot of things that went on in David's life, good and bad. Uh, one of the first things people of his day thought about David was David is a warrior. He is the guy who defeated lions and bears as a young shepherd. He is the guy who probably as a teenager defeated Goliath by himself, winning the victory for Israel. He is the guy who as the leader, the king of Israel... You couldn't beat him. He, he, he knew battle. He knew war. He was a warrior. And yet you read David's words in the Psalms, you know what you find? He also has a deep personal love for God. It, he didn't feel like he had to choose between those two things. He didn't feel like he had to choose between, uh, between success in life or being a strong person and really loving God. And you see that. That's a great example for us. It, it, it's, not, it, it's something we should all pursue. No matter where you are in life, no matter what you're doing in life, David is a great example, and he's not the only one. About half the Psalms, about half of the 150, are ascribed to David. And so you have, you have a couple by Solomon, you have Asaph, you have other people who, who had this deep personal love for God. So examples are great in helping us see what it looks like to love God. And then you have words that are great to help us develop our love for God. One of our summer series speakers a few years ago, he, was, he came in, he talked about praying the scriptures. I don't know if anybody else remembers that. But his big thought that he that he talked about was praying the Scriptures. And he really focused on the Psalms. And what he said was, if you're struggling in your prayer life, you feel like you're stale in your prayer life, he said, one thing to do, open the Psalms and, and, and read it and pray it. Apply it to your own life and pray that out to God. Pray. Sometimes the words don't match up perfectly with your life. David's writing under the Old Covenant, under the Law of Moses. I understand that. But, but what he was saying was, there are often words that help you build your love for God right there in the Psalms. So what I want to do with the rest of our time, if you have the outline, I'm going to toggle back and forth. I know this will bother some of you OCD people, so I apologize beforehand. But I'm going to toggle back and forth between the passages section you see there and the next one down where it says themes. I'm going to sort of jump back and forth. I'll, I'll make clear on the PowerPoint which one we're doing. You'll see verses up here or you'll see a theme up here. Uh, but I want to start with a passage and I'm going to point out a theme and, and the big thing, again, as we read through these, these parts of Psalms together, I hope these are examples of how the Psalms can help deepen our faith in God, our love for God. Let me say it better. Love, our love for God. And that's the first commandment. We want to start there. And maybe we can make that a bigger part of our life. Let's start with Psalm 63 and just notice the words. And, and I want us to picture for ourselves if, if this is something we could pray to God for ourselves, Because I imagine there are things here that, that would apply to our life. Psalm 63 says, O God, you are my God. 
I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh yearns for you, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory, because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. That's a, let me pause there. That's just a great verse. And because your loving kindness is better than life. God, you're, the way you care for me, sometimes that term's translated steadfast love. Your, your steadfast love is better than life. I praise you, God. I will bless you as long as I live. I lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. So in other words, I've, it, it's, it's as if I've had a big feast with a spiritual feast by being with you. My mouth offers praises with joyful lips. You can see, just going back through that passage, if we're to pray things to God like, God, my soul longs for you. My soul thirsts for you. Uh, God, I see your power and your glory. Your loving kindness is better than life, and so I praise you. You can already, I hope, see how sometimes praying the Psalms can deepen our love for God. Let me mention a few themes that I think you find in the Psalms that I think help us love God. First of all, God's love for me. So again, I'm toggling down to that, that last section there where it says some themes uh, there in the Psalms section. Write down God's love for me if you're keeping the outline. Um, when, you, when you see how much God, and think about how much God has loved you, I think that's one way you can't help but respond back to God in love. Because He has done so much for us. When you think about how much your parents have loved you, for example, it helps you deepen your love for them. When you think about how, how people in your life have shown love to you, it deepens your love for them. The Psalms help us think about how God has always loved us. Let me give an example. Again, toggling back up to the passages, if you want to write the passage down. Psalm 56, verses 8 and 9. He says, You have taken account of my wanderings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. I like verse 8. It, if I understand verse 8 right, he says, God, you've, you've noticed everywhere I've been. Not everybody does. Not everybody cares. People got their own things going on. Everybody's doing their own thing. He said, God, you've, you've noticed. You've seen everywhere I've been. The, the God who cares, the God who loves, has, has always watched you as a father who loves you. You put my tears in your bottle. The times when you have cried and no one else knew about it. God knew about it. God, God saw your tears. He, he figuratively put them in his bottle. He, he cares about you. It, it, it hurt him. It meant something to him that you were tearful and you were crying. Are they not in your book? God noticed when you were hurting and no one else noticed. That God has always loved you. And then I love the end of verse 9. This I know that God is for me. We had a marriage seminar a few years back. We try to have a marriage emphasis of some sort every spring, either a Bible class or a seminar. And, and on one of the years we had the seminar, they handed out little cards uh, to the, the husbands and wives, and it said, I am for you on the card. And they encourage you to just, just give those to your spouse at different times, to, to, to maybe put them in different places around their life. 
Uh, They might open a a book at work or something and see that little card that says, I am for you and and signed by you. I thought, what a good thought. Just just a reminder that someone who loves me is, is for me, wants me to do well, cheering for me in my corner. And that verse says, this I know, God is for me. I hope you know that. I hope you know God is not against you. I hope you know God does not want you to fail. I hope you know that God, God is not looking at you just waiting for you to trip up. Some people seem to have that type of image of God. He says, God is for me. When you realize God is for you, I, I think you can't help but love Him more. The Psalms remind us of that. Another theme it, it, you see in the Psalms is expressing our love to God. Sometimes just saying the words... Uh, I love you, or, or showing that love helps build the love even stronger. And, and that's true in human relationships, just saying the words oftentimes. It helps build the, the loving relationship, uh, can, makes, it, makes it stronger, keeps it stronger. And Psalm 18, if you notice, this is what Elijah read just a second ago. It's a, it's a psalm we know because we sing, I will call upon the Lord, um, and, and that comes from Psalm 18. But verse 1 is just as good. Notice how he starts. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Do you ever tell God you love him? If not, I'd encourage that. It's biblical. It's right there in Psalm 18, verse 1. It's not overly dramatic. It's not, it's not anything weird. It is, it, is, it is biblical to pray to God and say, God, I love you. And just like the psalmist does, I think that builds a love. Just like it does in relationships, it builds a love for God as you express the words. I love you, O Lord, my strength. He goes on as Elijah read, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You hear there, God, you've always been my strength. And then verse 3, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I'm saved from my enemies. And that's where... Some different verses in this psalm uh, become the song that we sing. One more psalm to write down on this theme that you sometimes see in psalms. Psalm 42, 1 and 2. Another psalm that we have put to songs, to music. Uh, Verse 1 says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And again, just just sitting down with the psalm and praying that to God, I think that can't help but deepen our faith. The psalms are filled with these deep expressions of love for God. And I think they help us. I think they help make it part of who we are, that it applies itself to our lives as well. A third theme to write down, just remembering that God is always, and I got four of these, by the way, if you're trying to keep your spacing on your outline, uh, remembering God's help. Remembering that God has not only watched you and loved you, but He has been there for you. And He's helped get you through some things. And He's helped get you out of some things that maybe you didn't deserve to get out of. He's he's brought you through stuff that you wouldn't want to go back through again, but you're thankful that God got you through all that. And you see that a lot in the Psalms. One example I've got up here is Psalm 30. I've got a few verses from Psalm 30. You hear in the Psalms a lot, remembering what God has done. I will extol you, O Lord. For you have lifted me up and have not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. 
O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. Sheol was the place of the dead. You've kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you as godly ones, and give thanks to his name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. And then this, the end of this verse is just great. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. And that is always true for God's people. It is always true. Even if you're facing the, the very doors of death itself, it is always true to say weeping lasts for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning if you're in Christ. Because of the promises of this life and the promise of eternity, of being with God and with His people forever. Weeping lasts for the night, a shout of joy comes in the morning. And then a similar thought in that same psalm later in verses 10 and 11. Psalm 30, 10 and 11 says, Hear, O Lord, be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. For you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. God, you took my sadness and you've made it into happiness and joy. You've taken off sackcloth, which is what they put on in Bible times. They put on sackcloth as a sign of sadness. He said, you took my sackcloth and, and instead you put gladness on me as my clothing. God, you have turned things around. That is always true in God, this life or going into the next, that our sadness gets turned into joy. So just remembering that God has always helped and He will continue to. That deepens my love for God. And when I can pray those things to God and, and see through the prism of my own experiences, I think it deepens our love. And then the last one I've got here that you see a lot in the Psalms. There, there's others. I'm sure you, you would have great thoughts. If we were in a Bible class, I'm sure we could go along and, and contribute a lot more together here tonight. But the joy of being with God is another theme you see a lot in the Psalms that I think helps deepen our love for God. Psalm 27, verse 4, and I've got three of these, just short little verses I've picked and chosen out of some Psalms. Psalm 27, verse 4, One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. I hope you and I have seen what that verse calls the beauty of the Lord. I hope we have seen that God is always good, that He is always loving, that He is always with His people. I hope we've seen the beauty of who God is. And what you see in this verse, just seeing the Psalms say this makes me want to make it part of my heart as well. God, I just want to be with you. I want to sit with you. I want to let your goodness and your beauty be part of my life. And just seeing that mindset that this person loves God so much, it makes me want to love God more. I think you see it in Psalm 26, verse 8. He says, O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. God, God I love being in your house. And of course, in, in Old Testament times, that was the temple where they would go to worship God. I, I hope that we love worship. I hope that's our mindset. I hope, if, if that's not where you're at, I hope you grow back into that or I hope you grow into that the first time. I hope I want to be like the psalmist is so many times. God, I love it. I love to worship you. I love to be in your house. I love to be with your people. And seeing someone with that attitude, it helps me want to make that a little bit more of who I am. One more of these, Psalm 16, verse 11. You will make known to me the path of life. You'll, not just in worship with your people, but the path of life. And then I love this next line. 
In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. God, God giving, the, the, the hand of giving to his people. But in your presence is fullness of joy. God, with you as I walk through life and I know you're with me, there is a fullness of joy there that, that keeps me going along the path. Just seeing that someone else loves God that much makes me want to do the same. So let me and my Bible classes uh, submit to you tonight. If you want to deepen your love for God, the first commandment, right? The, the very first thing. How do you work on, on loving the Lord your God with all that you are? Let us submit tonight. Let's spend some more time in the Psalms. Let's open the Psalms and try to internalize the spirit of the Psalms. Let's try to open the Psalms and pray those words to God through the prism of our own life. And here's what's great. The more we work on our heart, the more we try to, to make our heart really what God wants it to be, the more real our faith becomes. I, I think, I heard that somebody say this years ago, I still think it's a great goal. I want my faith to be as natural as breathing. That's what I want it to be. I want it to be something that I have to like think about, okay, who should I be now? Who should I, I, I want it to just become who I am. How do you do that? How do you make your faith as natural as breathing? You internalize it. You, you make it really who you are. Where, where it's really in your heart. I want to love God. Remember, everything else hangs from that. If I can get the love for God, then my whole life is going to start fitting itself in place. I'm going to start keeping all the commandments because my heart is there. God, I'm with you. I, I want it to be who I am. At some point, David and the people in Psalms said to themselves, God's going to have all of me. That's what Jesus asked us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. What I'd like you to do with that last blank, if you're keeping the outline with us tonight, write your name. <laughs> write your name in that blank. I want to be able to say, God's going to have all of Tim also. I want to be able to say that. David said, God's going to have all of me. He didn't always live up to it, but it, that was his goal. I want that to be my goal as well. I want that to be your goal as well. The first commandment, love the Lord your God with all that you are. Let's spend time with the Psalms. Let's make that more of who we are. And then let's just see how it changes our lives, how it helps us really live out the type of life God wants us to live in following Jesus Christ. Tonight, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, we'd love to see you make that decision. It's the most important decision of your life. Uh, Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for us so that we would have the opportunity to have our sins forgiven by Him. How does that happen? You believe in Jesus, you make a commitment of repentance, and you're buried in the waters of baptism to have your sins washed away, united with Jesus in the waters of baptism. If you have questions about that, let us know. Uh, we're trying to follow the Lord. We're trying to help each other follow the Lord. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, we'd love to talk to you. As we're about to sing, Jesus, I give everything to you. I give my whole life to you. If that hasn't been you tonight, let us pray for you. Let us pray that you get your whole life back with God. Not just part of it, not just pieces of it, but maybe tonight you want your whole church family to pray that, that your entire life will be in the service of God. We'd love to help you with that. If we can help you in any way this evening, you're about to come to the front now while we stand and while we sing.